I we have you today with Matt. Say your last name for us. Minier. Because I always get it wrong. Um, and we are going to talk about his role here at CVU, specifically as substance prevention counselor and other cool stuff. So, Matt, tell us about yourself. What brought you to CVU? Yeah, so I I think this is year six at CVU. Five six. Or six. Yeah, it's time, five or six. Time, time flies. Yeah, it's uh, year five or six at CVU. Um, <clears throat> I started my role here as uh, a Howard Center social worker, um, which is was kind of taking more intense cases as a mental health counselor slash social worker and working with a smaller caseload of kids. And then um, two years ago. Uh, I switched roles and I took over as the student assistance program counselor, the SAP. Um, and so since then I've worked for the district and worked for the school um, doing that. Susie? So now, I, that, now that you've I, done, I, you're done eating lunch? I'm done eating lunch. <laughs> um, I, you know what, I'm really curious. I'm going to jump right in, Matt, because what I'm curious to hear is... Um, I live in Burlington, right? And I walk around the streets of Burlington and I see there, there's there's a drug problem. Yep. And I see it everywhere I walk in Burlington. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm, I would be remiss to think that it's not also happening out in communities outside of Burlington, yep. like our CVU community. So I want to ask you, like, what are you seeing? What are the trends you're seeing? Are you seeing drug use um, in, our, in our community? And, and what does that look like? Yeah, so, I mean, I think... Nothing like putting, jumping right into the fire, in. Susie. Yeah. Yeah. You know me. I had a whole list of, like, ease into <laughs> yeah. the conversation going questions. In. Going in. We're going in. I like it that way, though. Um, so, I think it's important for us to realize that our community is no different than any other community. Um, and so, that, I guess, is a long way of saying, yeah, we have substance issues here at CVU and here in our community. Um, and those issues look very similar to some of the issues that you might see in other communities. And what that means is we have substance issues with both students and parents who may be using opiates. They are definitely using marijuana. Um, you know, they're using benzos, which is like Xanax, Klonopin, things like that. Um, you know, we've seen a little bit of an uptake in um, like psychedelics, like mushrooms or acid or something like that. Like we see all of those things here in our community at CVU. Um, those rates and how much I think probably vary and may be different than in other places, but we see all of the same things that you may see in a community like Burlington or you may see in where I live, I live in Franklin County, I live in Swanton, and we have those same issues there. And so I think our issues are no different than their issues. So, but this doesn't, you're not implying that all students are using. And so I'm going to, I'm going to pull back the reins a tad because yep. even though Susie says I'm a little, <laughs> I'm a, I need to have more fun. Um, what are the, what are the resources for, for the community, uh, for the CVU community? Yeah, so I think this is a, a really an important question and something that we were talking about earlier. I think um, we do have a lot of resources. I, I would say like our high school here at CVU um, probably has more mental health resources than some other high schools. Uh, and so I think we're lucky that way. But <clears throat> one of those things would be me uh, as the SAP counselor. I think my role 
and uh, I kind of take this from the person who did this job before me, he would always say his caseload was 1,400 kids. And what he meant by that is that is me as the SAP being able to be accessible to all students for all issues. Yes, the substance use issues for sure, but that might be students who are having uh, issues with stress or trying to figure out uh, anxiety because they have a test going up or some students who may have some more intense mental health issues and so I think that's kind of like the first level when we think about things this way I think as we go down the level gets a little bit deeper we have a school social worker here um, her, uh, their name is Steph Folkmar Steph really has a, a smaller caseload uh, of students that they deal with who have some mental health issues, uh, what I would say are probably some more clinical mental health issues. We have another school social worker, her name is Vanessa Harmon. Vanessa is more connected to um, one of the alternative programs we have here, so she doesn't necessarily see um, you know, some of the mainstream students as much, but it's another support. And then we have a Howard Center worker, um, her name is Katie Farnham, and Katie's awesome, and Katie kind of deals with some of the more intense and um, probably the most clinical mental health issues that we have here on campus. So any student that may see a psychiatrist or be diagnosed with, you know, clinical depression or some other serious mental health issue is a student that um, I think Katie is going to work with and be um, and have on her caseload and kind of manage in that way. I think that comes with help with all of us, but I think those are kind of the layers of mental health support that we have here at CVU. So we're here talking to you today, but and, and specifically about the your role as the SAP counselor, but can you work with students on issues that aren't substance related or do you need to kind of stay within that lane? No, so I think this is something that is probably a little bit of a change uh, from how the SAP position worked uh, before me. I um, do generally work with a lot of students who have substance use connected to them in some way. And I think that's important to highlight because when we say substance use, I think sometimes we think of students who are just using substances. That's not how it works, right? Like it could be substance use affecting the family in some way. It could be substance use uh, with their friends, them being concerned that their friends are using substances and wanting to come and talk about, hey, how do I talk to my friend about having these issues? And so um, that is certainly probably the number one way students get connected to me, but I think since I started the role two plus years ago at this point, um, I've kind of opened it up where I do have a few students on my caseload who don't necessarily just have substance use concerns. They may just have some anxiety, some mental health issues, and I think that has come out of um, the pandemic and where we've seen the trends go that like students are really struggling. And so I think to just say that my supports are only going to be for students who have some substance issue in their past, I think would kind of cut me off to some other students who could use some support like me, but don't have that. And so I think we open that up a little bit and that's led to, uh, yeah, me being with students who don't just have substance use issues. And Matt, isn't it the case that, you know, you often see that substance use abuse and mental health challenges are in intertwined that you know people will often use abuse of substances um, to help self-medicate right 
um, anxiety, depression, some of the th- some of the mental health challenges we see um, here at CVU. Yep. I think that is exactly right. I think what you see with students who um, have some substance use issues or have some substance use in their families is it is definitely intertwined with mental health issues. Uh, I think the way I like to put it, right, and you said the word self-medicate, I think that is a perfect phrase or a perfect word to describe what happens because a lot of times... I think it's hyphenated. Yeah, so is, is that, does that make it one word? <laughs> I think it's hyphenated. <laughs> but I think it's like just the perfect way to describe how these students um, are going about their lives because in the end, some of the anxiety, some of the stress, some of the depression, um, whatever mental health issue they have, I think affects them in a way that they are then trying to figure out, how do I feel better? How do I make myself not feel, how do I feel numb? How do I make myself not feel some of the issues that um, I'm going through? And so I think they will forever be connected in a lot of ways. I have a, um, I have a question in terms of trends. Yeah. Just out of curiosity, from your professional um, standpoint, do you think there's going to be an uptick in marijuana use with the legislation that and the um, cannabis sales that are about to that are already already um, hitting the hitting the market here in Vermont? Yeah, I think that's. Uh, I, I hesitate because I think marijuana use uh, has continued to like increase. For students, um, do I think it will increase faster or has increased faster because it's legal? Um, I think it's probably fair to say that, but I think the thing that I that I hesitate on a little bit is uh, just because now we have stores where people can go in and buy marijuana doesn't necessarily mean like marijuana like those students are gonna go into those stores and buy marijuana. Like to me, I think marijuana has always, unfortunately, has always been accessible to students and students have always gone after it. I do think what you will see and what I have seen a little bit, right, is some of these strains that may be sold in some of these, um, in some of the stores that you can now go in and buy marijuana are kind of making their way down to students where students aren't necessarily going in and buying them themselves. But I think what you see here and what I think I've seen in my work sometimes when maybe we end up finding marijuana on a student or um, you know a student talks about their marijuana use is that some of those things that, and like the dab oils or the edibles yeah. that have become uh, more popular and are now sold in the stores are making their way down to students. And so I think, in I think to go back to your original question, have we seen marijuana use or smoking marijuana increase? Maybe, but I think what we have seen increase are the edibles, are the dab oils and the oils that they use in their dab pens and stuff because those things are now more readily available and more accessible. And so I think what you're seeing is students have a much uh, bigger way to experiment with marijuana than maybe when we were all in school and the way it worked is somebody like bought a bag of marijuana from somebody and and we smoked it in like a joint or a pipe or something like that. Like that's not just how it is anymore. Now what you have to look for are dab pens, which are uh, extremely concerning to me and like the edibles, right? Like you never know 
uh, what these students are using sometimes because they may have had an edible that they ate at home or you know what they may have edibles that they may be experimenting here at school that we don't know about and that is probably very different than it has been in the past and will continue to be okay so I heard you say dab pen I've heard you say vape yeah. pen I've heard you say vape can you talk to us a little bit about what differentiates one from the other what they do you know what they are I, I don't, but I'm I'm loving the hand gestures that you're using, Susie. Yeah. That not a one person's gonna see. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I think I, I appreciate you like slowing me down because I think just in my work as I go through, it's a term and terms that I use quite frequently, and I'm not always thinking about slowing down and explaining those things. Um, so when I reference dab pens, what I'm referencing is um, a marijuana oil that is used through um, like a vape, right? So I think a lot of parents know about, uh, you know, vaping, yeah, just vapes that students are using that look maybe like a USB or have the block and, you know, have the mouthpiece that students are using. So when I refer to dab pens, what I'm talking about is the marijuana oil that students are then putting in electronic vape or like an e-cigarette looking thing that they're then using the marijuana through that way. When I talk about a vape, what I am referencing are nicotine vapes. And I think um, that is something that unfortunately is really popular here in school. Um, a lot of students right now are using vapes and e-cigarettes. And I think it's important to, to kind of highlight what those vapes and e-cigarettes are. And so um, I know one of the questions that we talked about uh, before we pressed record is what is a vape? And I think it's important to kind of highlight what that is. And so um, I wrote down kind of a definition and, and want to be able to highlight that. But um, I think the question that was on there is, are vapes more benign than tobacco products or cigarettes like they're advertised? And I think it's important to highlight they are not. Vapes uh, and tobacco products like cigarettes or cigars are very similar. And so vapes um, are a way that students are using nicotine through the use of an electronic device which heats up uh, the nicotine oil and then when they bring it into their lungs it comes out as a vapor. Um, and so it includes all these really harmful chemicals, chemicals like carcinogens, uh, benzene, heavy metals, and when those things are inhaled what ends up happening to students is their lungs get inflamed and I think that physical piece is really important, but I think the thing that we actually see more here at school are the behavioral and kind of the other issues that they have. Because what happens is nicotine is what's in tobacco that's really addicting. And so what you see is students are getting addicted to that nicotine that they're using through the vapor and the e-cigarette and then they have a really hard time controlling their behaviors because it causes irritability or impulsivity when they don't have it. And so it's this same type of thing as somebody who may smoke cigarettes. When they don't have a cigarette, they may be very irritable. Agitated. Or, yep, agitated, yeah. impulsive. And what we see is that same thing. Um, and so that is probably the chief concern other than the natural health concerns that you know come from from a vape um, for the students that we have here. Now, do vapes smell? I mean, can, can people vape without anybody knowing about it? So when you walk in the bathroom, Susie, and it smells like apple pie or cotton candy or Fruit Loops? Yep. 
they've been they're vaping. vaping yeah. yeah. So I think that's the most concerning thing about vapes is what we have seen is you have all these flavors, right? Like a cigarette is for, if I ask, actually, I've, I've done this before, right? If you ask a student who ha- may have had a vaping violation or who is honest with me that they have tried vaping or do vape, hey, would you ever smoke cigarettes? Uh, the looks that they give me and the tone of their voice change so much because they're like, no, I would never smoke a cigarette. Like, And it's almost like they're offended that I'm even asking them like, hey, uh, would you smoke a cigarette when they're vaping? And it's because in their minds, there's this complete separation. But that complete separation happens because of what Russ said. They have all these flavors and these flavors are 100% aimed at teenagers to be able to make uh, the use of nicotine, um, one, fun, but two, just more palatable, right? Like a cigarette, for anybody who's ever tried it, does not taste good, right? It makes you smell bad. It like it can ruin your teeth and all this stuff. Like all these things these students know, and when they think about using a cigarette or some other tobacco product, they're like, no, I would never do that. But because of the Fruit Loops flavor or the blueberry flavor um, or all these fruity flavors that come in, uh, you know, the vape form, they're like, oh, that one tastes much better, it smells much better, and ultimately is why it is much more palatable and they and and fun for them to use. It's like something that they want to try. It's like a new new type of Red Bull or a new type of soda, something like that that they get excited about. And it's addictive. I mean, it's, oh, extremely addictive. Yeah, it's no different really than the cigarettes that everybody has tried to prevent teens from using for for decades and decades. So in Canada, when you go buy a pack of cigarettes, it comes wrapped in, there's no other way to put it, gross, like literature about what happens from cigarette smoking. Mm-hmm. Why don't we put that same sort of packaging around around the vape oils? If it's, if it's so bad and it's really not, I'm gonna make the analogy, it's not candy like we may perceive it to be, mm-hmm. Why don't we illustrate how deleterious it is? Uh, I wish I had the answer to that question because I think that's exactly what they should do, right? Because all of this idea that we're talking about that makes vaping and those vaping products palatable to all these teenagers is the reason why these teenagers want to do it, right? Like one of the most popular uh, types of vaping products right now that we see here, and I'm sure other high schools see, is called a loon. And what a loon is, um, is, an, is an e-cigarette or a vaping product, but the packaging around those is like, it's in all these different colors. Like one that I saw um, the other day at the store had this really cool reddish pinkish color with loon in white lettering and it's got like lightning bolts on it. And it's just something that marketing wise looks really cool. And so I think what ends up happening is to be able to kind of prevent some of that, I do think wrapping that in literature or wrapping that in um, in something else that doesn't look as cool would be exactly what we should do. I just don't know why we don't do it. Well, let's put this in perspective. How many students do you think, what percentage of our student body do you think is using uh, marijuana, vapes? I mean, if you want to bulk it all together, how many uh, using substance? 
Yeah, so I think that's a it's a really difficult number to say, and so I don't want to like to, tell me. To, yeah. to say yeah. an exact number. In part because um, we took our YRBS last year, which is called our Youth Risk Behavior Survey, which uh, attends, essentially takes all the risky behaviors, and it's a survey that we give to students that kind of wraps all these risky behaviors in it and ask them, you know, what they do and don't do. And so I think we take numbers from that. Um, I will say in one of the last numbers that we did get from 2019, which I give you is a long time ago, I think that number was anywhere between like 17 and, and like 20% of students who had tried uh, vaping in particular. Um, I think that number will inevitably increase for sure. And then when you think about the students who have actually like, who have ever tried vaping, that number actually goes up from that 17 to 20%. Uh, the 17 or 20% from the YRBS is, or was students back then who were like currently trying to vape. And so I actually think, um, you know, without wanting to throw a number on it, I think it's important to highlight that that 17 to 20% was where we were at in 2019. And I think since then, we feels like a decade has gone by yeah. because of the pandemic and because of everything we've gone through. I won't be surprised if those numbers increase uh, by a lot from where they were. Now, I'm a, let's say that, you know, as a parent, I, I am worried about my student. Mm -hmm. I am worried about them using a substance. I'm seeing behaviors that might indicate that. Yep. What resources do I have? Yeah, um, it's it's difficult because I think there are resources there. Um, can, I think, I, can I piggyback on that? I yeah. just had a thought that I don't yeah, want to yeah. separate these two questions. Yeah. So what resources do we have? And then how as a parent do I um, dig into the potential use of my child? Am I like, am I trashing their room looking for stuff? Am I, you know, how do I as a parent Approach. approach those those conversations yeah it's really difficult so, I, I didn't mean to interrupt but no, let's go good let's, job we're bulking yeah no I think it makes a lot of sense and I think uh, I probably would have hit on that at some point in my answer anyway because I think they're they're truly connected but I think there are a lot of resources out there first and foremost um, and some of those are me as the SAP counselor here at school I think that can be like a really fair and, um, you know, an easier way to start. I encourage parents, um, you know, my email address is accessible online. Uh, letting the school counselor know if you, if you feel comfortable enough doing that, that this is something that's an issue, and then they can kind of give you some of my contact info. And I, I, I say that I am uh, a kind of first step in line because I think it can be, um, it can be very non-confrontational that I can have conversations with students where it's not just strictly, hey, you know, so-and-so, your parent came to me and said that you may or may not be using, like, tell me about that. I think in my role, because it's really broad and I talk to a lot of students about a lot of different things, I think it allows me some time to explore with students what's going on and I think I'm very confident in the relationships that I have with students that let's say they are vaping, let's say they are starting to experiment with marijuana, that um, that is something that will probably come up in our conversations. If we're at a point where things are a little bit more serious, because that happens too, I would say 
reaching out to some of uh, the mental health supports that are in the community. You know, I think First Call is more of like a crisis center, but like if you're having serious concerns about your child or your student using, a lot of times that's connected to mental health in some way. And so I think even though it might seem uh, like First Call is just for mental health like crises, I think this would kind of constitute that issue. And so I think First Call is a good first step because what they can do is start to kind of give you some resources about, yeah, so there's a mental health, um, you know, there's a substance use counselor here at the Howard Center that we can do some sort of evaluation on your student if they're using. Or there's these people in the community that are substance use counselors, drug and alcohol counselors that can sit down, have an intake with your student, talk to them about what their use may be, and then go from there. I do think when it comes to, Russ, your question about approaching students, um, some of it is really basic. I don't think I have like this overall like great answer about hey, how do I confront my student who might be using? Because I think it's more of if you every day try to have these ongoing conversations with your students about how their day's going, how they are, you know, how they're making friends, you know, who their friends are and some of their social scene. I think through that, you start to see changes and or you start to realize some patterns of what students are doing. And so I think some of it is just trying to be as connected to your to your teenager as you can. And I get that's really difficult sometimes because teenagers aren't the people that are like, yay, I'm gonna raise my hand and I wanna spend every single minute with my parents. I, I completely understand that, but I think trying to stay connected to them and having some of those discussions and those conversations about everyday things helps you then dig a little bit deeper into, hey, so I've seen some things about this going on at school, like, Tell me about what your experience is with that. Like, do you see kids using, uh, have you ever used, right? I'm just really curious about it. I think coming at it from a point of curiosity sometimes can be a really good way to say like, yeah, you know what, I saw this weird thing on the news or I heard this podcast where, you know, uh, the SAP counselor at your school was talking about some of the things that go on. Sometimes it can just be coming from a place of curiosity that can start that conversation, but then it's on us as parents, because all of us in here are parents, to keep that conversation going and be able to dig into some of that stuff as you go forward. You say those of you who are listening to the podcast, you know that's probably <laughs> like 20 people. Yeah, we'll take that. Though. We'll take it. Hopefully though. if those 20 people... They'll get one gold nugget yeah. out of this, right? We'll take it. Yeah. So I, I am curious, though, because you've talked a couple times about uh, or alluded to uh, kind of like the Matt Minier entry gate. Like, So there's a parent can reach out to you directly I'm imagining a student might be able to sit down with their house counselor who can then refer to you or perhaps they reach out to you directly. But uh, how else do you get clients on your caseload? Is that is that the school getting information and searching students? How does that how does that work? Well, how does the school help students get to a healthier place? Yeah, uh, and it's a big question, but I'm asking it. Yeah, I think the easier answer to that is it's all of it, right? So yes, I frequently have parents 
come to me um, about maybe substance issues. I have parents come to me because maybe they connected with a teacher and the teacher said, yeah, you know what, we have this person here at school who's the SAP who uh, can kind of have some of these conversations. And so I like the term that you use, entry gate, because that is a little bit of the way that I look at my job because my role can be really flexible. I think it is used as an entry into support in general. Like, yes, mental health support, but sometimes it might just be this student is really struggling in their classes and they may need some more help connecting with the school counselor to be able to actually discuss some of the stress and the anxiety that they're having about their classes. And so in that case, I can kind of be the bridge to the school counselor to say like, hey, I know you know this student, but this student came to me because they were having an anxiety attack or having a lot of panic about this test. And through that conversation that I had with them, they said, yeah, they've actually been struggling like this for the whole, the whole semester, but didn't really know how to go to an adult and say, yeah, I'm really struggling. Because for students, that's really difficult. But other times, let's say a student may get in trouble in the community because uh, they got pulled over for speeding and you know there was some other stuff in the car or maybe unfortunately they had a run-in with police. Like those things come back to the school and then I think the school will con connect with me in part because I am that entry gate to kind of get an idea about how things go on. But yeah, students come to my office every day because I think one of the biggest ways that I'm able to do my job and do my job well is word of mouth. I think I have really good relationships with the students that, I, that I've had and now being here for the amount of time that I've been here, I've known a lot of students and gotten to know a lot of students. And so what that also does is it allows me to have student X go to student Y, who is their friend, and be like, yeah, you know what, when I had a hard time, I went and talked to this guy, and he was pretty cool, and I thought it really helped me. And so I think that's something that, because I've been here for a little while, students are able to kind of connect that way as well. I heard you say in in your last, um, you know, spiel, which was good, that, uh, that it's hard for students to ask for help, and it's sometimes hard for families to ask for help. Um, we all struggle with that sometimes. Can you, um, let's talk about successes, right? Can you talk about sort of what, how you're seeing some students move through support systems and, and, and work hard and, and get to a better place? I love that question because we've talked a lot of, uh, about a lot of heavy stuff that has a negative side to it, but there are, there is a fairly significant positive side to it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think that uh, I appreciate you asking that question because I think coming at things from a positive perspective is exactly what I love to do. And I think the thing I want to highlight is probably half of the kids I see or maybe like a third are students that I don't necessarily have to see like weekly. And the reason why I don't have to see them weekly is because what they need is just somebody to check in with and like a place to know that if things get really heavy they have a place to go and I always tell them like drop the bricks on my desk kind of unload some of those bricks and some of that weight from their backpack that they're carrying on their back and then be able to walk out of the room and that's because those students have experienced some of those successes and are actually pretty resilient and able to work through some of that stuff and the thing I love about that is some of those students are students that came onto my caseload in some really crisis situations or having some really intense mental health issues. And over the last year, half a year, 
even two years for some of them, have been able to develop the skills to handle some of these situations that I think at first they were not able to handle. And now it's like, yeah, you know what? Just knowing that I have you, your school counselor or somebody else, just an adult in the building to check in with, is really what I need to be able to go on about my my high school career and about my day and be successful. And I think I see that with, like I said, with a lot of kids that I have on my caseload. I love that analogy with the bricks on the back. The backpacks are heavy enough around here <laughs> that to have some heavy backpacks and then some bricks on your back. It's nice to be able to unload those bricks. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. That's it. And that's what I tell kids all the time because it's the truth, right? Yeah. Like yeah. some kids that I see, I, I would say a lot of them, um, yeah, some of them have some, you know, serious mental health things or some serious trauma going on or in their backgrounds. And I think what they're looking for is just some connection and an adult that they trust, that they know, hey, I can go and I can say some things, maybe some things that, like, I might not want to tell my parents right now that I just need to talk about. And I think the important thing that I want parents to know as well is, yes, there are some things that kids are going to tell me that I'm not always going to tell the parents and also things that maybe parents feel like, no, I should know that information. Um, but I think students are protected in that way because of uh, my, my role and, and, and what my job is and, and kind of the mental health world as a, as a mental health counselor. But I also always encourage kids to go to their parents and to have that conversation, especially if it's safe, which for most students it is. It's safe for them to go to their parents and have that discussion. And more times than not, if they do go to their parents and have that discussion, I think they feel an even more, even more of a relief than they do by just telling that to me because they don't have to hold up these appearances of like, no, I'm not struggling or no, I'm not doing this or no, I'm not doing that. And so I think a part of my work is talking with those kids about, hey, you know what? You should really go to your parents and talk to your parents about what these issues are because in the end, I think you'll actually feel even better and I think you'll actually be surprised by the help that your parents may give you in this situation that is just being able to kind of sit down and talk with them about it. Can you help facilitate those conversations or is that something you you work with the student on to help them build the confidence so they can go do that on their own? Yeah, I help facilitate that with parent uh, with parents all the time. Uh, and that'll, that really comes because students, uh, students want that to happen. So I think what ends up happening in certain situations is students come to me and they might say like, yeah, I do want to tell my parents this, but I'm not sure how they'll react. And I'm always the one to say, hey, let's bring him in. Let's have that conversation. Other times it's the other way around where I'm like, hey, this is super concerning. Um, at some point, I think I'm gonna have to tell your parent about this. And so I wanna give you the choice to do it in this setting where we have these calm and collected conversations. And so let's bring them in. Or you tell your parents, you know that they're probably gonna be upset. And that, uh, that feeling of being upset usually comes from fear or just like, oh my God, like. I did not know that my child was experiencing what they were experiencing. And in that sense, I then say, hey, how about you come in and how about you have a conversation about this? And so I think that happens in, in both ways, really. All right, I wanna end this on a positive note because I realize we're at 35 minutes and there's we could talk for another a day. Another day. Yeah. But you, you, we've talked about a lot of heavy stuff. You seem to have a very positive attitude. Mm -hmm positive uh, outlook on how things 
can be handled here at school. When you're not at school, I want to know what you're doing. Yeah. Like, um, what are your what are your passions outside of here? Because it's you're very passionate about this work, but what are you what are you passionate about outside? Yeah. Of so uh, when I'm not in school, the thing that I'm doing more than anything is I'm on a baseball field. So um, I have coached baseball here at CVU, both JV as a head coach and varsity as an assistant coach. But um, I am no longer coaching baseball here at CVU. I have a part-time role as an, uh, an assistant baseball coach at St. Michael's College. So um, when I am not here at CVU, I'm all in on baseball and being with my son. So I got a five-year-old son. Uh, his name is Malik. I love him very much. Uh, he started kindergarten this year, and so like all you parents out there know what that's like. Um, I had a really hard time with that, and there were a lot of tears on his first day of kindergarten, uh, but we got through it, but he's adjusting really well, and so between chasing my five-year-old around and being on a, a college baseball field, that's what I really like to do, and then in the summer, um, this summer I'm really excited about it. I'm going to be coaching in a, in a college summer league um, for um, in Montpelier, so that'll be really cool because... Um, I haven't been able, that'll be a new experience, but that has kind of been my overlap with a lot of the kids and some of the parents here at CBU was my coaching uh, summer baseball and travel baseball and even JV and, and varsity baseball. And so I think for me, the way that I've connected with students outside of my work here has been through athletics, but specifically baseball. So that's what I like to do. Has he mastered the curveball yet? No, Are you, you trying to teach him the split finger? Yeah. What do you mean? Yeah, he can swing it. He wants to be a catcher. So he likes to put on the gear and yeah. stuff like that. I so bet. The gear's it. cool. Yeah, he Especially does. He likes, five, to, yeah. <laughs> he likes to have all the gear on. Yeah. Uh, but he can swing it a little bit. But he, we really just love to get out there and like throw it around yeah. and be in the backyard and watch him hit balls over the house and hit the house and stuff like that, which I'm, <laughs> which, I'm, which I'm okay with, which I think he enjoys when he gets to hit a tennis ball or a wiffle ball and he hits the window and he looks at me and he's like, he he's looking for a reaction and I'm like, no, nah, dude, like good swing. I'm yeah. glad I'm yeah. glad you hit it. Uh, and then at some point I'm sure I'll be upset because it'll hit one and it'll break the window and I'll have to pay for it, but that's okay. That's kind of how it works. Well, Matt, thank you for coming in today. I'm sure we will get back together and have a part two of this. Appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you very much for the Thanks, opportunity. Matt. Just when you thought it was over, I asked a question and Matt told me, press record. So my question was, and I'm going to lose some of it, I'm sure, uh, was about, uh, we were talking earlier about numbers and we were talking about the YRBS. And I was asking Matt, like, do you think that the numbers went up during the pandemic when people were not able to be social, where they were uh, self-medicating because they were isolated. And now that we're back in school and we're social again and we can be around our peers, do you think that your experience is that those numbers are naturally coming down or are they staying up? Yeah, I, so I think that those numbers are continuing to increase and continuing to be up. Now, do I think they're increasing as much as they increased during the pandemic? No, because I think what we were trying to do during the pandemic is isolate. And so what we saw from a risky behavior standpoint or from a substance use standpoint is just this sharp increase because kids were isolated and trying to figure out what to do dealing with boredom, dealing with being separated, and I think at times experimenting with things that I venture to say if they had other peers around them and were engaging with those peers, they may not do. Um, and so I think we saw a sharp increase, or we will when we get those numbers, in those behaviors, 
But I think because of everything that we experienced over the last couple of years or since 2020, those numbers are still going up because kids are still dealing with the trauma and with the anxiety and with maybe the depression or some of the mental health issues that kind of were birthed during the pandemic. And so I think we're seeing an increase, just not as sharp of an increase. And I think now, because we are starting to kind of get some, get a better understanding and get some supports around kids to try to deal with that, I think in a year or two, maybe, we start to see a little bit of a decrease. But I think right now, there's still this, you know, incremental increase of those behaviors because we are now just starting to get an understanding of what is going on. Okay, now we're really done. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks, everybody. See you next week. <laughs>